The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Jesus told his disciples, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and, in fact, will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Our readings today open with a shocking image of the first martyr, Stephen, who has so shocked the authorities, the religious authorities of his tradition, that they move over to become a mob and they take him outside the walls of the city and stone him to death. For the author of Luke and Acts, this is an inflection point if you noticed, there was a little footnote about a man named Saul who is there witnessing Stephen's death, consenting to it, maybe even promoting it. They lay their garments at his feet. Saul, of course, is beginning his journey of conversion with the death of Stephen. And it is in that shocking moment that we hear witness to the gospel, a witness that is uttered by Stephen in his last words, 
who says out loud, he calls upon God to forgive the very people who are taking his life. It's a radical message for a world that understood that when a life was unjustly taken, the scales had to be balanced. And the only way to balance that was through some form of retribution, karma, or revenge. But that is precisely the opposite of what Stephen calls for. And in doing so, he is echoing Jesus' words from the cross. Something new, the author of Luke and Acts is telling us, is happening right here. Part of that newness is the fact that we have to, like the religious authorities, recognize our rigidity in our understanding of what is happening. And our rigidity in our age looks something like this. We are a people who are very much a people of science and who like texts that read one way and tell us what to do. We like having instruction manuals. Well, some of us like to experiment before we open the instruction manual, but let's set that aside for another sermon on another day, right? But we have manuals for our washing machines and our dishwashers and our refrigerators, and increasingly we need manuals for our cars, right? They're getting all the more complicated. and. We navigate our world through instruction manuals. And religion has attempted to do this for centuries as well, to write down manuals of instruction to help us figure out what is the path to salvation. Our ancestors, however, recognized that true religion doesn't yield easily to instruction manuals. For any of you who have been parents or been in friendships or gotten married, you know that none of those relationships come with instruction manuals as much as we would like them to. As someone once said, we learn by doing. I had a professor in seminary who was fond of saying that the Bible does not glow in the dark. It's not an instruction manual. I will tell you in all seriousness that anyone who tells you that it is, is probably selling something. Be careful what you're buying. Scripture, in fact, is a mess if you want an instruction manual. But if you want a document of what it is like to be in relationship with God and with God's people, then you're looking, I think, at Scripture in the right way. And this is the deepest theme, I think, of our readings this say Stephen has confronted the instruction manual religion of his time, and has so offended it that he gives up his life in witness. 
A few decades later, in the first century, we get this letter attributed to Peter, or maybe some of Peter's disciples. And there's a little bit of a joke going on in this reading, if you can believe it. Remember what the name Peter means? It means rock. The Greek is Petros. The Aramaic is Kephas. And if you remember, Jesus named Peter the rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. Although a probably better name for Peter is Rocky, because that's what relationship with him is like. Right? That's part of the joke. Well, the author of the first letter of Peter extends the joke today by saying, not only am I a rock, but you are too. A living stone, a living rock. In the ancient world, foundations were not built as they are today, you know, with very carefully cut stones or poured concrete with vertical elements. I look over at Charles, our civil engineer, and I think of all of the ways that we build foundations today to take stress and strain, particularly in earthquake country like we live in. The foundations in the ancient world, though, were built much more like arches that were laid down horizontally. And what I mean by that is there was a cornerstone that was placed in one corner of where the building was to be, and all of the other stones were chosen and laid so that they would lean against the cornerstone and against each other. Like an arch, you could think of the cornerstone as a keystone. That's the sense that the author of this letter wants us to understand that we are living stones forming a foundation and we all lean on each other and all of us together lean on the cornerstone who is Christ. This is a living foundation, not designed on blueprints and carefully engineered, but a foundation of relationship. This is what Jesus is getting at in today's gospel. His followers are terribly anxious because he has talked about departing from them. In the cycle of our season, as we approach Pentecost, the language gets more and more about Christ's departure. Why? Well, John tells us elsewhere to make room for the coming of the Spirit. But in the moment, Jesus' followers find a great deal of anxiety in that. They worry what his departure might mean for them, for the other disciples, and for the future of this strange little faith they seem to have hatched together with Jesus' guidance. Thomas asks the telling question, right? I want an instruction manual. I want a map. Don't we all? tell us how to get to where we want to be and want to go. Jesus points out to him, he's asking for the wrong thing. There is no map. 
There's no cartography. There's no manual. Instead, he says, in the mystical way of John's gospel, stop holding God at arm's length and embrace the relationship that I am calling you to. Jesus says, if you're looking for an instruction manual or a map, look to Jesus, God in Christ. Belief in John's gospel is not mere intellectual assent. That's holding God at arm's length. But is actually about trusting in and following the living Christ who discloses to us the living God. That's part of Philip's confusion, right? Well, show us the living God. And Jesus says, you have seen the living God. You can almost see a balloon over Philip's head kind of exploding at that point, right? Jesus says, you have seen the living God in me. take that and we put that together with the letter of Peter and what we are hearing in the tradition is that we disclose the living Christ and the living God to one another in relationship. Not through instruction manuals or maps, but through the love that we have for one another. And that love is meant to be shared in relationship with the world outside these doors. So that we become living stones, a living foundation for God's new world. Tradition has called it the church. We get tripped up because we imagine the church is our building, and the things that require blueprints and instruction manuals and maps. Then we remember we are living stones. We are the church, gathered here, now, and in so many other places right at this moment. And the strength of the living church is not found in our bank accounts or even in numbers, but is found in how much we love one another. Remember elsewhere in John's Gospel, Jesus' final commandment. Just a few short weeks ago, we remembered it during Holy Week. His final commandment is simply love one another. That is the way truth, the life begins and ends there, a love meant to be shared, a love for healing a broken world. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast from the Episcopal Church of Our Savior, Mill Valley, California. 
We are a growing community welcoming those seeking to deepen their relationship with God and to journey in faith with God's people through the breaking of bread and in service to others in Christ's name. You may reach us by phone at 415-388-1907, search for us online, or visit our website at OurSaviorMillValley.org. We wish you God's peace, and we hope to greet you in person very soon. Thank uh-huh.